0: So hello everybody, welcome to Flex in the City. I am absolutely delighted to have our first Scotsman on the show, and that is the infamous J.B. Beckett. And J.B., for those of you who don't know him, he's the author of New Fund Order. He is a speaker, an artist, a race driver, an ecologist, a sci-fi philosopher, Rasputin meets geography teacher, and happily married to Mrs. J.B. Hello J.B.
1: Well hello Rachel, that's uh, quite an introduction Um, and uh, I look look forward to talking with you about uh, flexing the city and of course what the new fund order means.
0: Absolutely and this is of course our Halloween edition and we are going to call this particular edition, what are we going to call it J.B.
1: Well we do have a a common friend and interest um, which I'm obviously speaking about next month and that's our good friend Nosferatu.
0: Nosferatu and the vampirization of value is the title of our podcast today, our special Halloween podcast. So JB I've read your book, um, your great book New Fund Order, Um, so I'm very curious to, to, to find out a little bit more about you and about um your book new fund order you are a self-proclaimed asset management rebel so could you tell me a little bit and all of the listeners out there a little bit about your background and how you came to be who you are today
1: well as everyone who knows me uh, i'm indeed a a very humble and modest person and i don't like to talk about myself too much rachel um there's, there's not a lot to tell but if I rewind this back, I actually wanted to be an artist. <laughs> I didn't want to be an asset management rebel, whatever that, whatever that means. Um, but frankly, through my school years, I just lacked the, the motivation and focus to, uh, to get it done, to get to, to art college. So I actually ended up going to university and I studied business law and sociology. And that odd mix, I think, um, probably describes me very well, my apt dichotomy. I am um, a contradiction, I think, in, in many ways. And then I obviously I, drift, I drifted into finance in 1996. And I think a lot of people, if they're honest with themselves, do drift into finance because it's such yeah. a dominant industry in the UK. Initially I was in compliance, um, having studied financial regulation. Uh, and then, so my first experiences of finance were really dealing with mis-selling reviews. But by 2000, I was then working in fund research.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I continued to do that really for the next two uh, decades before I decided to retire at the end of last year to move more into kind of the industry, the advisory, mm-hmm. and the non-exec roles. And it really was during that two decades of being a fund selector, an asset, allocate, an asset allocator, a gatekeeper, um, that I began to write about it and I began to spot things that didn't Mm -hmm. sit with me particularly well and I think that really came to a head obviously after the. for many of us came to Mm. a head after the great financial crisis
0: Mm. absolutely so so I'm really curious um, in your book new fund order and it's obviously very topical at, at the moment with the Woodford situation that attaching star status to fund managers is wholly inappropriate so what I'd like to know because I'm really interested in the behavioral side how do you believe JB that we need to lead and motivate yet control these rock stars?
1: Right and we do have this star manager obsession don't we and mm. we've had it really for at least 20 years if not longer and I, you know I've been writing about it really for the mm. last 10 and it's endemic it's endemic to our industry and and I think we have to reflect, not obviously just the, the latest example, which obviously is Woodford, and that's oh, right. dominating the headlines. But I think we have to reflect that stars are made, not born, and that yeah. it is industry that collectively creates this problem.
0: Mm. And
1: what I suggested to fund selectors, <clears throat> new fund order was, do we select managers on the right basis? Do we have a tendency to buy into a star manager narrative? And therefore, do we tend to concentrate our assets into the few rather than the many? Uh. And I think, and I hope, many fund buyers, advisors, gatekeepers are lamenting on those decisions uh, that we've seen over the last 10 years or so. Uh. But Woodford didn't just happen. It was was made and it took years to be made. And Uh. uh, I hope, I hope it really does serve to uh, to change our thinking.
0: Mm. So it's born out, of course, out of a culture of outperformance. How, how do you actually think, JB, that that could be stopped or or modified in order to restore confidence in the ethics of, of our industry?
1: I see very <laughs> little evidence. <laughs> I see very little evidence that it's stopping, Rachel. Um, mm. In truth, the worst uh, concentration, a concentration we're seeing today is actually in... Uh, zero-cost index investing. Mm. Now that's been done for very, very good reasons, but it's still part of the same problem. Um, really, this kind of whole culture of outperformance and this obsession around headline performance, particularly, it creates a short-termism. Um, and it creates a sort of short-term thinking that, frankly, I think the index providers have really been culpable in Nurturing, um, I think that l- absence of long, long-term thinking has been erosive to good stewardship over companies, over good long-term outcomes. Mm. And yeah. I think we need to try and rein this back. So we see this happening, not just in star managers, uh, and, and you know this whole, a manager gets to three years and has outperformed, therefore, let's throw lots of mm. money at them. And all the academic studies tell us that is the the most stupid thing to do. And yet, collectively, we still do it. And we've sort of done the exact same thing, I think, in the index side as well. And what Mm. I'd really like to do is confront investors to make them think about that duality of just cost and performance versus perhaps much longer considerations around sustainability.
0: Mm. So, so in terms of sustainability and, and and governance, on a scale from one to ten, where would you say governance is now in the fund industry?
1: Oh, what don't would just, you give us? <laughs> don't we just love scales? Uh, I love um,
0: scales. Love
1: scales. Is is one good or ten good?
0: Ten is good. Ten is ten. brilliant. Ten is right. perfection.
1: Right. Okay. Let's let's um, not to be Switzerland um, and claim neutrality, but let's. Let's just be a bit realistic. I think where we are is somewhere between five and six. Okay. And the reason I say that is I think the FCA, since the asset management study has started to put in place measures that I think has began to improve the governance in fund structures amongst distributors. And of course then how how that then plays for advisors and investors but I think we're a long, long way because I think the underlying culture in our industry hasn't yet changed. Yeah. And our perceptions of how what good governance looks like hasn't actually changed. And so we've got the FCA effectively retrofitting a new framework still sitting on the on the old behaviors. And so I think we're mm. only kind of halfway there to actually getting towards something that might resemble good governance.
0: Okay. So, so good, but some way to go is probably the
1: Definitely some way to go. And and if you invite me to be contentious on this, Rachel, uh, I'll
0: invite you to be contentious. What
1: we've seen off the back of Woodford and Link is a number of other jurisdictions and structures suddenly banging the drum saying, but we're better. We do this. We do that. We're somehow much better than the, uh, the humble, UK fund management company I don't buy it
0: right.
1: I frankly don't buy it I don't think frankly the regulators in those other jurisdictions buy it and I don't think necessarily those who are involved in fund governance and in the conversations I have buy it and so whilst I can appreciate Dublin and Luxembourg and the investment trust mm-hmm. industry are all racing to say that we are so much better than the UK fund management industry um, I think they have to be honest and look at their their own shops and actually Mm -hmm. say, you know what, there are things here we also need to change and maybe we want to reflect on what the FCA have said about the asset management study, what they've said about things like Woodford Link. And I think we need to see more change in their structures, particularly around the areas of independence.
0: Very good, very good. So that leads me on very nicely to a powerful question Who's the most inspiring person you
1: know and why? I'm sure many of many of people will say it would be someone, you know, um, inspirational like Gandhi or, you know, someone who has perhaps done lots of positive things towards the industry. I kind of take, I take a different look at these things. I think it's because I look so much in the shadows. I look at the underbelly of our industry. Um, it is the
0: Halloween edition, of course.
1: And it is it is the Halloween edition, and I think you know, for me, the the real inspiration came from from Bernie Madoff.
0: And, wow. his- and you wonder why you became an asset management rebel, JB? <laughs>
1: <laughs> because isn't it isn't it interesting? I mean, ten years on, really, since his court case the industry still doesn't even like to talk about Bernie Madoff Mm. and we like to almost collectively say, well, that's in the history of the industry and therefore it's all good. That's not true. There will be other Ponzi schemes operating within our industry right now, Mm. but it also exposes um, something I tend to explore in my talks, which is this idea of the human condition, which is that we like the sense of control over what our industry is doing. We don't like to confront the monsters. And actually, when you look at what Bernie Madoff was trying to do, he was actually trying to fabricate returns that were not available from the market in a way that delivered the outcomes to his clients. Mm. You could actually say he committed an evil action out of a sense of good and purpose. And when we look at hedge funds and absolute return funds underperforming and this idea that, Fund managers can't suddenly pull rabbits out of hats. I think we have to reflect and say, is the industry just naturally wired to induce Mm risk-taking, to induce fraud, to basically try to fabricate something that's actually very, very difficult to achieve? And I think we should look back at Madoff as an inspiration. And I would certainly recommend, as I have, read the court notes. to to the Madoff case because it's 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 a real wake-up call
0: Mm. I must send you um, after we've finished uh, this this recording JB there's a fascinating study psychological study about people defining themselves as bankers or not as bankers and how their behavior actually changed um, once they recognized that they were bankers Um, quite a fascinating psychological study so um, JB, in your own career, which which financial services leader has inspired you um, to to be who you are today? Who have you loved working with?
1: It's 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 difficult. <laughs> um, but I, I, I. You mean I, you can't
0: I, think of anyone?
1: Well, do you know do you know what? There are people who I, I absolutely admire at the industry level. The people like mm. uh, David Pitt Watson or mm. Sacker, who's the founder of the Three Hundred Club, or. Russell Napier of the Library Mistakes. Right. And I've never worked with any of those directly. And I can hand on heart say I've never worked for a leader that I either admire in it, from a, a moral or from a sense of professionalism or, or values mm-hmm. or, or, or a leader who I think has, you know, can inspire me personally to get where I get to. If anything, I would say the leaders I've worked for through my time have inspired me to rebel to Mm. go the opposite way, to be contrarian, and I think when you talk to many contrarians in our industry, they have a similar tale to share, and Mm. it's not about being inspired or that I had some absolutely fantastic mentor who uh, nurtured me through the uh, absolutely opposite experience. Mm. I really have fought and clawed my way through this industry and done what I've done in spite of the leaders that I was supposedly working for mm. and actually it was my different values my different sense of professional and always created friction with mm-hmm. with probably the, most of the leaders I worked for mm-hmm. um and I'm I'm sure I'm not alone in that mm.
0: so what 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 really does motivate you I'm really curious to know what what are your own core values JB
1: some people might condemn me as, as, as being some, some sort of turbulent priest or um, <laughs> a, a contrarian's contrarian, someone, you know, a gobby scott that just likes a good argument, they're, they're not wrong. but <laughs> uh, well, I, I think when I look at my own values, I, I, I grew up from a, a working class background. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think they verge very close to being socialist. Um, I At times, might even verge into Marxism, um, but it's a, it's a very soft form of Marxism, uh, Marxism and it's not the state type of, of Marxism. Mm-hmm. I like disruption. I, l- I like surrounding myself with disruptors. I hate the status quo. I like equality and I hate inequality. Um, and if through all that, somehow I try to enjoy what I do and I could leave some sort of mark on this industry, then all the better.
0: Mm. So you are an artist at the end. You
1: yes, are an artist. I like to think so. I'm um, a yeah. f- failed artist in the in the in the sense of visual arts, but I like to think that I've mm-hmm. used some sort of artistry in this industry. And I hate and you know what I've written about this. I hate my favorite phrase to loathe is that um, somehow fund management and fund selection is both art and science. I hate mm-hmm. it. There's, no, <laughs> there's there's nothing. There's nothing associating fund management, asset management, wealth management with art. Those who think they are, are are frankly kidding themselves. Um, Art art has a positive, a creative value to society, to the fabric society, and it it holds that value over time. Um, Mm -hmm. I think asset management is a very transitory process. It is a utility of society. It's there to support society and I think this sense of somehow that we're artists, you know, weaving these intricacies and portfolio allocations is just frankly nonsense.
0: Mm-hmm. So JB, in your opinion, what is the game changer that is gonna make financial services better?
1: And I've obviously had a few years to think about this. And I've had a few years to think about this since New Fund Order. And I think in a sense, And in one word, it's mutuality. Mm -hmm. And whether that happens through people or technology, a sense that the profits and the returns and the wealth of asset management are distributed fairly, um, I think holds a lot for me. And I think the industry Mm -hmm. has lost sight of this, especially those who are accountable first to their shareholders before their uh, customers. And I think that would be the game changer actually getting back to a proper sense of mutuality. And of mm. course, the best working example of that in the United States right now is Vanguard.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So is that the happy ending for New Fund Order, JB?
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> you, well, you, you kind of know the punchline. So, I mean, and the, thing with, <laughs> the thing with the New Fund Order is that there wasn't a happy ending to it. I think the, the best that we can hope is that um, we are not obsoleted by technology. Mm. And why will we be obsoleted by technology if customers investors lose all trust in this industry and Therefore choose yeah. to try to navigate us by using technology a Happy ending to the new fund order is that doesn't happen that we find a way to work with technology But more importantly we find a way to contribute to society and add value to our uh, customers
0: mm. So JB as this is the Halloween edition i understand that in real life you are going to be in the crypt on the 14th of november am i correct
1: you are indeed correct yes
0: <laughs> tell me more tell me more what are you going to be doing
1: so i've i've long admired the the deadx talks that uh Lancat has mm-hmm. uh, put together and those who have heard me speak already know that i have a tendency to be a little gothic in, in my approach and to perhaps share my love for uh, B-movie monsters. What better than to share that love in a crypt uh, with like-minded contrarians and uh, critical thinkers. And I'm gonna talk about my good friend Nosferatu. And is there a sense that vampirism actually exists within this industry? And of course we can define vampirism as something that's parasitic, something that draws value away from its host, the host in mm. the symbi- being our customers? Or can we find some glimmer that the industry is a symbiote, that it also adds value back to its host? That's what I'm going to try and explore uh, next month in the DeadX Talks.
0: JP, thank you so much. I hope I can be with you at the Dedex talk on the 14th of November. Thank you so much for being a very special guest on this Halloween edition.
1: You are most welcome, Rachel, Thanks. thank you.